solves everything. A how-to-do show where Heather takes credit for making the world a better place by introducing you to people who actually are. I used to think that I was a good person. Then I met these folks. Wow. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Heather Solves Everything, the show where I take credit for making the world a better place by introducing you to people who actually are. Today, those people are Inger Daniels-Holler and Kyleen Gay, two people who are lighting up different corners of the world with their can-do attitude and curiosity about life. Say hi, Inger and Kyleen. Hi, everyone. <laughs> the problem that we're solving today is that feeling when you sign up to do something and then you think, this isn't me at all. We're going to hear from Inger about how she jumped into entrepreneurship as a black woman in a male-dominated field and how she works with women to help them build wealth and prioritize how they live with money. And we're going to meet Kyleen, fresh back from a backpacking trip that took her way out of her comfort zone and into a new level of confidence and curiosity about what her limits really are. And I'm going to get coachy on you with some tips for telling that voice of self-doubt, we all have it, to get lost. Are y'all ready? Yes. Yes, we are. All right, let's get into it. <laughs> hip, hip, hip. Here we go. Inger, I want to start this conversation with you. I think that's perfect because this show is all about how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> that, that I don't know that I signed up for something I can actually do here, but we'll try. <laughs> well, you know what? You're doing it. So you're, you're already doing the thing. You know, right. sometimes people say, I'm just going to fake it till I make it. Let me tell you what. We're all doing a really good job of pretending like we've got it all together. Um, I, when I hear people say, I'm just going to fake it until I make it. I think to myself, if you're doing something, if you're doing the thing, that is a real thing that you're doing. Therefore, it is not fake. It's real. Therefore, you are doing it. Mm -hmm. You're here in the radio studio with headphones on, talking into a microphone on a radio show. So, therefore, you have proven to yourself that you can. Let's judge that after the show. <laughs> I didn't say it had to be good. Right, you just got to do it. Right. Check. I got that. Now, so the purpose of this show is to explore that feeling that sometimes people call imposter syndrome. Um, you know, and that's kind of a, a, a term that we read about now that we use to describe times when we feel like we don't belong here. Everyone's going to find out that I don't know what I'm talking about, or everyone's going to find out that this isn't really who I am. Um, I haven't earned this. I don't deserve this. A lot of times we have these feelings when we get a promotion and, and we're not sure whether we're really ready for the next level or when we decide to just jump into a new experience and we're worried that everybody else knows what they're doing and they're going to tell right away that, that we don't. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because it's such a universal feeling that so many people experience that the chances are that the ones who don't feel that way are in the minority and it's most of us who feel that way. And so that kind of, to me, makes it just a human thing. You know, it's just a human thing. But what we don't often have are the skills and the strategies and the techniques to 
manage that in our lives. And so we let it dominate our thoughts and, and kind of distract us from what we're doing. We stress and obsess on it. And then we don't really have the full experience of, of what it is that we are jumping into, that we are fully capable of doing. And we miss it by worrying about what other people are thinking about us as we're doing it. And so today, I really am looking forward to telling y'all's stories and hearing what, what your experiences have been um, as a way to explore this topic um, from two friends who are um, really different from each other and have bring different perspectives and different life experiences, but also have universal experiences and universal feelings. And so I hope by the end of the show, guys, that's what I'm trying to give you. So if you didn't get that, get it because <laughs> so, that's what I'm going for. Now, I know Inger from a few different roles in life, but namely our kids go to school together. We've known each other for about four or five years now. Yeah, since kindergarten. Since kindergarten mm -hmm. and we're going into the fourth grade now. Right, right. Not us, but. We're not, <laughs> but emotionally right, right. <laughs> there's an emotional part of us going into the fourth grade. And let me tell y'all, my perception of Inger has always been, this lady's got it together. She is cool, calm, collected, intelligent, articulate. And I will admit, I've been intimidated because I know Inger's got it together. That is so funny. <laughs> that, that is so funny. <laughs> you know, as... um. Uh, as I go through uh, my story, I can tell you different points where I have felt just completely, completely out of my comfort zone. Um, I did, uh, to tell you a little bit about myself, I did um, uh, a PhD in math at the University of Virginia. I was certainly the only black woman there. After I did that, I went to Wall Street and uh, worked as uh, vice president uh, for research and agency mortgage-backed securities. Uh, and I did that for several years, and I was certainly the only black woman. Uh, in my area. Uh, and I always, I generally feel uh, like I am uh, doing something that I'm not quite supposed to be doing uh, and uh, doing something that people would not expect uh, that I should be doing. Uh, and I think those feelings might have been so strong uh, that along with a lot of other motivating factors, I went to go get, uh, get another PhD, uh, this one in finance uh, at Florida State University. Uh, and part of, you know, accomplishing these things, of course, there are all the reasons that you should say and uh, anyone would say for why you go and do research and uh, become uh, a PhD in this or a PhD in that and do whatever job. Uh, along with those reasons uh, are the, I need to show people that this is not on accident, that my accomplishments are not on accident, that it is, um, it's real uh, and maybe um, the double PhD and the time on Wall Street, maybe some of that was, was to accomplish that goal, to show that it's, it's not an accident, that I'm not an imposter, I'm real. Right. Um, Did you always know that you would work with numbers and work in math and finance? Uh, I didn't know that I would be working um, in finance, but I did know that I would be working with numbers mm -hmm. um, just because math was always my the easiest subject for me and the thing that I enjoyed the most. It was the class that I had first thing in the morning and it always came the easiest. So I, I knew that I would do something quantitative. Uh, I didn't quite know that it would be something with finance. I remember being in undergraduate school and thinking, oh, the people going into the school of business are just money grubbing people. <laughs> How dare they not focus on something more upstanding? 
Um, but, uh, but um, you know, uh, eventually I changed my mind on that uh, and ended up going into finance. Um, and it turned out to be, honestly, because of the money. I uh, was in uh, undergraduate school get, or graduate school getting uh, the PhD in math, and I saw lots of classes of people graduating with business degrees and law degrees, and they were scheduled to make multiples of what my salary was going to be. And I just thought, you know, I'm working just as hard as they are for longer than they are, and I want to make sure that those uh, those efforts are rewarded financially. So uh, I turned the math degree into something into finance. Who do you think that you were trying to convince when you when you said, I wanted to show that this is not by accident. I'm doing this on purpose. Was was there was there a population in your life that you felt um, were skeptical or were you trying to convince yourself? It's everyone and myself, everyone, Mm -hmm. including myself, Um, uh, you know, and you might have uh, metrics, you know, numbers that can prove something, you know, you get. first place in this or you, um, you know, have the highest score in that. And those are helpful. But if you don't um, have uh, that sort of internal self uh, validation, um, then they're not going to be enough. Uh, And so I think I was uh, trying to prove to myself and everyone else. And so I feel like, you know, those two PhDs, you know, the the jury is in, you know, the verdict is is placed um, uh, that I can do it. Um, but it's a lifelong struggle to um, continue to convince myself. Mm-hmm. You know, not only working in with numbers is historically, or I guess traditionally, I think we still have that feeling that girls don't typically go into numbers. I don't understand why that is, but I I know that it's it's a perception that my brain always reminds me that. It's unusual for a girl to choose a math field. It shouldn't be that way, but, you know, it just is. Mm -hmm. And then also being a black woman working in finance and numbers and math. um, Did that feel like you were going into uncharted territory? Yeah, certainly. You know, um, uh, I I told you that in lots of my uh, career career. uh, evolution. I've been the only one there. And so that, you know, that uh, difference in numbers uh, certainly speaks to uh, what you might have experienced um, from people telling you or throughout your life that you're not supposed to be doing this. So you get there and you're the only one and oh, maybe I really am not supposed to be doing this. Uh, um, and there's a bit of socialization there too, you know, when, um, you know, growing up, as you said, you know, you, you have um, uh, these ideas in your mind that women aren't supposed to be doing X or Y. Um, I know that when I was teaching uh, at the University of Virginia for a while as a graduate student, um, I was teaching some math classes, obviously, and um, I had someone come in and observe my math classes, and they said, you know, you don't call on the women. And um, and they just observed one class. I'm going to chalk it up to that. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, the, we, um, uh, we might express those personal biases, even um, it, that if we don't want to have them or don't believe that we have them, we might express them in unconscious ways that affect, um, that affect others that are around us, right? So um, why women don't go into numbers, um, that is a deep question that I'm not prepared to answer, but some of it certainly might be socialization and the pressures that we put on them unconsciously. I think it's definitely fair for us to recognize in ourselves when we are expressing a bias that we didn't realize that we had or one that was internalized and present in our minds, even if we don't believe it. 
You know, and I think that there are times when I, I personally am not a numbers person. I'm a, I'm a words person. And I've always identified myself as a words person. And for some reason, I felt like I had to choose one or the other, you know, like I'm either liberal arts or I'm science. You, you know, like, why can't you be both? You can. But in our time of growing up, it was it was clear to me that I was good with words and I wasn't good with numbers. Mm. And I think that I also had this strange awareness that that girls are good at words and boys are good at numbers. And and I don't know whether I created that or whether there were outside influences that told me that, but I even though I know it to not be true, I still carry it with me. I apply it to others and I apply it to myself. Yeah, you know, it's certainly it's certainly hard to avoid that sense because you don't know uh, whether or not the outcomes that we um, observe in life, like me being the only person, you know, in my entire, uh, all only woman, only black woman in my entire Wall Street group, or, you know, being the uh, first uh, black graduate in mathematics uh, at the University of Virginia, those are things that are real. And so it it speaks to us and says, you know, you're, you're not supposed to be doing it. You're, people like you tend to not do it. And so it reinforces those um, those already, those notions that you might mm-hmm. already possess. So when we see these disparities in women in engineering or women in math, um, I don't know whether or not that is a result of uh, some sort of uh, natural difference in, uh, in gifts and abilities. I don't think it is. Uh, or, or, is it the, um, or is it the thing that is causing the difference right. in, the, in, the, um, dif- uh, in the chosen paths? I think the most important thing is that we answer that call. And so there must have been something in you that continued to drive you forward and encourage you to to stay where you were, even though you may have felt like like you were um, like the only person of your category in the group. Do you know what that was? Was there a voice in the back of your mind that that said, you can do this? You got this. This is you. Uh, You know, I don't know that there was. I, I just was. I gravitated towards numbers and I gravitated towards uh, problem solving and I got C's on all of my papers that I wrote. So it just, um, it, I, I just went where I took the path of least resistance, resistance. Which I happened love to be that. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. The path of least resistance being your most authentic self. Mm-hmm, right. You are doing what you are called to do and what your calling is. Now, when you um, started your consulting firm, Derringer Solutions. What was your vision for that? So, uh, yes, my husband and I together uh, began a consulting firm named named Derringer Solutions. And really the motivation was we just wanted to start a business. We felt like we had skills and talents and no more, no less than anyone else. And so if other people can start businesses, so can we. Uh, So our vision was just to get a business established. I wish we could say that we had some big, you know, huge, um, uh, uh, ambitious dream. Uh, we didn't. We just wanted to establish a business that utilized our skills and talents. Uh, so mine being math and finance and his being psychology. Uh, and we're both researchers. We both have PhDs. So we started our firm more as something um, uh, that would offer research services to organizations. Uh, and it has since morphed uh, and grown uh, into what it is today. Mm-hmm. And what it is today is a consulting firm where um, a large part of your work is with law enforcement agencies and other organizations on financial ma- management. Tell us about that. What is the work that you do with them? Yeah, so uh, we were at a conference 
in Orlando, or maybe it was Tampa. I think it was Tampa. And we ran into uh, a woman. Her name is Marva Dawkins. She's also a black woman. Uh, and she works with law enforcement agencies doing fitness for duty evaluations. Uh, and we told her about our, uh, that we were trying to start a research organization. And she said that she had some data um, that she could see if we would be able to use for our research. Uh, and that data related to law enforcement fitness for duty evaluations. Uh, so we um, crunched some numbers uh, and we found um, some correlates of suicidal ideation and suicidal uh, attempts hmm. uh, in, in her data. Some correlates like um, uh, tendency to uh, make homicidal threats or um, also financial distress. Uh, so we presented those results at various conferences uh, and that led us into doing presentations for law enforcement, uh, law enforcement organizations, uh, law enforcement agencies on financial management, uh, on mental health, uh, and on the results of our research. And so uh, that has uh, grown into doing those sorts of presentations, not for law enforcement agents, not just for law enforcement agencies, but also for other organizations. Uh, and uh, we're looking to um, continue to uh, grow our business in whatever ways we're called. Do you ever look around and wonder, how did yes. this happen? Yes, 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 you know, because my husband and I uh, are not, um, you know, we're not the type of people that would have, you know, a back the blue sticker on the back of our car or, you know, go around, you know, with the thin blue line chance. That's that's not us at all. But we do believe uh, in trying to, um, uh, I think one thing that we've learned, let me say, from interacting with law enforcement is that we realize that, um, uh, or, or that we believe our, 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 you know, modestly informed opinion uh, is that law enforcement agencies, some of them could do a better job supporting, um, training um, their, uh, their members. Uh, and so uh, we realize that some of the issues between um, our community, the black community and the law enforcement community uh, come from um, uh, needing to bolster and better uh, the support systems within uh, law enforcement agencies for their officers. Uh, so what we do uh, is we try to uh, train law enforcement officers to, in particular, my husband does this area, uh, to better deal with uh, the trauma that they experience every day uh, so that that trauma is not then translated onto poor interactions with our community. Uh, and um, in that, on that, along that same vein, we try to help support law enforcement officers in their financial management because we learned of the connection between financial distress and other uh, emotional distress. Uh, and so our goal eventually is to move into doing cultural competency training to train law enforcement officers to be able to interact with different um, uh, various cultures within the community more, um, uh, more effectively. Uh, and... And so that's where we are and that's what we're doing. And um, no, did I ever expect that I would be in this area? You know, we did a presentation for um, uh, Chicago Police Department and I'm standing in front of a room as a black woman. Um, and there are, you know, 200 plus Chicago PD officers <laughs> uh, dressed in their, you know, officer, um, dressed in the things that law enforcement officers wear. Their riot um, gear. Yes, they're well, not riot gear. No, they're not dressed in riot gear, but, you know, some they're, of them, their uniforms. they have on their, their uniforms, exactly. And it says police on the back and they're mostly male and they're mostly, uh, and they're mostly white. Uh, and I stand in front of that audience and I wonder, um, I, and I hope that they are um, 
believing what I say and uh, digesting what I have to offer and um, and and not uh, and not letting their bias uh, block out the information that I'm delivering. Um, it takes a large degree of um, of bravery uh, and um, and a little bit of hubris <laughs> uh, to feel that um, we can accomplish that goal of of, of training these you know. Uh, these officers. Um, uh, but we did it. And um, I look back uh, and, and I'm proud of us. And I feel like, and I feel like we did a good job. Uh, but I never expected to be in front of that audience. Um, and I can only hope that the information that we delivered to them was was beneficial. Well, okay, so I'm still of the opinion that you've got it together, big time. Because what I'm hearing is this immense sense of authenticity in whatever comes my way. I've got it. I'm prepared. I know this. And I've got it. And that's such a big part of this imposter syndrome that we talk about is just knowing that, okay, I may not have had this particular experience, but I have the skills within myself to deal with just about anything. Now, I know that one of the areas of focus for you is working with black women on their personal finances. And we've had a conversation about this before, about, um, you know, what kind of advice you hear yourself giving. And I wonder, what is the most common piece of advice that you hear yourself sharing when working with black women who want to build wealth and financial independence? Yeah, so, you know, we... So women, in particular black women, are in a collection of, of people that suffer from uh, the, mo the most financial burden uh, us in, in their families, whether they're the head of their households or, share that, or they share their household with their husband. You know, there have been studies to show that people that are uh, low-income people or that are, are young or that uh, are, are women in particular share or, or feel the heaviest burden of finances in their family. So when we think about black women, they, we are often lower income and we are often parents and we uh, can be young single parents. And so that's, the, that's sort of a collection of things that would, um, that would place the most burden upon these women uh, financially. So I like to uh, talk to them about how to deal with their finances uh, now that is budgeting and getting your, you know, the money that comes in, the money that goes out, make sure that that is, uh, that is budgeted properly. We also talk about the past, you know, getting yourself out of debt. We talk about the future, you know, how to invest. Um, I think something that I talk about with them a lot, two things that I like to make sure that I talk to black women a lot about are family and making sure that we pass down our knowledge about money to our children. Uh, you know, one of our, you know, something that the black community really needs to focus on is building wealth um, throughout the generations. So whatever we do now to improve our financial standing needs to not just be for us, but for the generations to come. So I like to talk to um, black female audiences about uh, passing down uh, or, or making sure that they're investing so that they can pass down whatever they've accumulated, but also uh, passing down some good money management tips, right? You want to teach your children how to budget. You want to teach your children how to give. You want to teach your children how to save and invest and spend wisely because you can pass down a whole lot of money to your children the next generation, but if they don't spend it well, then you know, if they don't manage it well, then it's sort of for naught. Uh, we also talk about controlling spending. Um, I talk, I, we talk about how controlling spending is related to impulse control and self-discipline and self-denial. 
Uh, I also uh, like to talk to them about um, the benefits of financial fasting. Uh, that can often connect with um, some a religious thread that runs through uh, the black community. Um, I've read a book, The 21-Day Financial Fast by Michelle Singletary, uh, and I think it offers uh, large benefits uh, to people that engage in that, in that technique. So um, I like to talk to audiences in general about money because money is not just related to your money behavior, but it's about your personality and your emotions. Uh, and I like to communicate that information to black female audiences in particular. It's all woven together, how we interact with ourselves and how we interact with our money and, and with each other. We're going to continue this conversation when we come back. You're listening to Heather Solves Everything. I'm Coach Healthy Heather, and we'll be back after just a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, it's Healthy Heather from Heather Solves Everything. I want to thank my sponsor, Kylene and Ryan Studios, a local husband and wife photography team who specialize in weddings and portraits of all kinds. Whatever special event you have coming up, they're your photographers for life. With a combined 32 years of professional photography experience, their unique perspectives shine through in every image you see. Find out more at KyleenAndRyan.com. That's KyleenAndRyan.com. Com. Thank you to my sponsor, AK Social Strategies, a locally and woman-owned business that provides social media and email marketing for small businesses. Every client feels the love when their social media is curated thoughtfully and personally with purpose and intention. Social media is a business must have, but it's time consuming and ever changing. Let AK Social Strategies take the wheel. Find them on Facebook. Just search for AK Social Strategies. All right, Kyleen. You pumped up? You ready for this conversation? Oh, I am. Actually, that helped a lot. Yeah. It's like when you're playing baseball and you get to pick your intro song or something, right? I never have played baseball in my life. No, me neither, but, <laughs> you know. That's something boys do. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know what? That is kind of a thing. I always think boys baseball, girls softball. True. You know? And and then that's kind of what we're talking about today. Welcome back, guys. It's Coach Healthy Heather. You're listening to Heather Solves Everything. I'm here with my friends Inger and Kylene. We're talking about that totally normal human feeling that sometimes we call imposter syndrome. I'm calling it, that's not me at all. What am I doing here? How did I get here? I'm not ready for this. But you know what? You are. You've got it. And we're talking today about real life examples when we have shown up in a spot where we totally signed up for it, even though we weren't sure if we had what it was going to take. And we did have what it take, what it took. We're going to talk to Kyleen. Kyleen is a friend of mine who we first met through her photography business mm -hmm. when she took headshots of me and um, started hanging out. Now we get to hang out in her Facebook group, Fancy Ideas for Non-Fancy Folks. That was my pandemic uh, crisis. It's <laughs> creating that page. <laughs> I've always known Kylene as a go-getting gal, but she recently surprised me by surprising herself <laughs> by going on a 40-mile section hike of the Appalachian Trail. And the reason why I was surprised is because she was like, 
who am I doing this? But I wasn't surprised. I knew <laughs> that she had it in her. Kylie, why were you surprised that you went on this big hiking trip? Oh, a lot of reasons. Um, I have terrible, terrible feet. <laughs> I mean, I have a picture of myself on the beach as a three-year-old kid with just little duck feet, just caved inward. I'm just standing there with my knees knocking together. My mom took me to a podiatrist when I was little. Um, and then as an adult, you become less active, you gain weight. And so those foot issues became even more prominent. So I found a podiatrist as an adult. I was going and getting steroid shots in my feet about every quarter. I do not like needles at all, but it was just necessary for survival. And, you know, my husband and I, like you said, own a photography business. So we're photographing weddings. We're on our feet eight, nine, ten hours a day carrying heavy equipment. I'd get in the car and just cry on the way home because I was so miserable. So, for I mean, I didn't want to walk to the mailbox. That's kind of my joke now. I didn't want to walk to the mailbox. I'm not, not going to go on a hike or a walk for enjoyment. But... You know, you meet people, you meet really cool people. And so I was introduced to the ladies at Stretching Your Life. Mm-hmm. Little plug for them. Um, Kim Ortloff and Jennifer Benfelt um, truly changed my life. Jen, Jen Ben is what I call her. Um, you know, if you had told me stretching would change my life, I, I just kind of rolled my eyes at it and was like, that sounds like grandma stuff, stretching. <laughs> um, I'm at the age of of my life where uh, stretching is becoming very important. No, I just, you know, you're thinking, well, I'm born with bad feet. How can I possibly counteract that with something as simple as a stretch? But once I started going to see Jen, I never had to go back and get shots. Um, I probably have only had to see her six times in five years. You know, it's not like you need to go every single week or once a month. Um, they equipped me with tools to take care of myself at home. I come back from a wedding. Yes, my feet are going to hurt, but I knew the stretches to do to to get over it and be back on my feet the next day. And so just sports in general, I was never an athlete. I swam because I didn't have to be on my feet. I could be in the water. But, you know, I just kind of wanted something to do to be active and then to enjoy being outside, but something that wasn't a competition. You know, I reluctantly did a couple of 5Ks probably 10, 15 years ago, and I'm thinking, why am I doing? There's a finish line. There's a timer. I don't want to know what time I finished. I'm slow. And so when I discovered hiking, it's like, I can go at my own pace. There's no race. The finish line is whenever I decide I'm done. And that was so liberating and just starting to feel better, going to the gym more often. You know, you got to maintain some things. Um, And just overall having that desire to be outside and to be more active was was really exciting. And then when I... um, I don't really even know when I went on my first hike. I do know that my good friend Charlotte Fristo, shout out to Charlotte, who just took me on this this backpacking trip. Two and a half years ago, she took me to the Appalachian Trail and we did a day hike. And she sent me a little picture of, of the hike that she had planned out. And it said four miles. And I'm like, Charlotte, I, I cannot do four miles. And she's like, <laughs> oh, um, actually, it's, it's out and back. So it's four miles out and four miles back. And I'm like... No, I cannot do that. And I mean, I didn't even know what the terrain looked like, but it ended up being pretty steep at times. But so we went up to do this and we did it and it was fun and I was tired at the end of the day. And I remember she asked me, she's like, so was it fun? Would you do it again? I said, yeah, but not tomorrow. I don't want to do this again tomorrow. So fast forward two and a half years later and I've been hiking more. You know, we go on trips and instead of seeking out a local brewery, as we do, I seek out a hike. 
And meanwhile, my husband is like scratching his head. I've been married for 13 years and he's like, who are you? What did you do with my wife? Not that he didn't appreciate, you know, the progress that I was making, but he was just as baffled by this as I was. And so Charlotte goes on trips all the time. I mean, she I think she did 75 miles by herself on the AT one time. And I would just look at her pictures and it just looked amazing. And it just seemed like this Mount Everest type goal. And then I, the timing worked out and I got invited to go with her and her best friend, Lauren. Um, and so I had about six weeks to wrap my head around it, to buy the right equipment, to train, train, train a little extra. And uh, so, yeah, I've been back home for, so yeah, we left two weeks ago for our, our trip. I know that you put in a lot of preparation, and I remember doing some of your training hikes with you, you, and you were all in, but I also heard you saying things like, I can't believe that I'm doing this. (laughs) I can't, I'm the last person in the world to be doing this. And, you know, now we know that you had a history of, you know, just kind of feeling like physically it wasn't something that you were meant to do, and yet you did. What type of training did you do to get ready for that hike? Um, I walked a lot more. Um, I ended up creating a private Facebook group to keep my friends notified of when I was planning a hike just so they could come along because I don't really prefer to be alone. Um, And so that just kind of snowballed into something fun and everyone was craving, you know, when are you planning a hike? When are you planning a hike? So that turned into a fun community that made it more fun. And sometimes when you're talking to a friend, five miles goes by a lot quicker. I do like you know, to be alone sometimes and just kind of enjoy the scenery. But when you're trying to like put your feet to the pavement and get some mileage under your feet, it's nice to have someone to chat with. But um, I have been going to my gym for three and a half years, Feel Fitness, shout out to them. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when I decided to do this, I went ahead and paid a little extra to have personal training um, through the gym with my trainer, Jason. And so he busted my booty. He did research on, you know, specific exercises for hikers. so we just worked extra hard on strengthening my legs. Um, and then I just, I walked as much as I could. Even, you know, leading up to this hike, Charlotte warned me that we'd have some 10, 11, or 12-mile days, which terrified me because the furthest I had gone was that eight miles with her two and a half years prior. But you were with me when we did, <laughs> accidentally ended up doing like 10.7 miles because we took a little turn and, you know, you get a little lost as you do. And 10.7 was crazy to me a little fun fact about me I grew up hiking and camping and that's what my family did for vacations and so I had a hard time wrapping my head around why Kylene was so freaked out by this hike because I thought like you 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 do stuff outside it's just walking why are you so worried about it Um, and then I went on one of her training hikes I did not realize that you could almost walk clear across Tallahassee on a trail Mm -hmm. we walked almost 11 miles and a across places that I didn't even know existed. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that there's 44 trails in Tallahassee. I now have a goal of checking them all off. Ooh, I wonder how many um, I've done. The, you've done a lot of them, I'm That's sure. Cool. Um, but as we went through that, you know, you had your friends, you had the hype of getting ready, you had the preparation process. And then I remember seeing the picture on Facebook of you at the trailhead getting ready to start. And you said, like, you know, here we go. And you're like, I'm not sure when I'm going to have Wi-Fi again, but this is here we here we are at the start. Yeah. And I had this this thought in my mind of now it gets real. I wonder what was it like that first day going out on the trail and realize the prep is over. <laughs> there's no more worrying. 
It's happening. I'm doing it. I'm not faking it. Yeah. What was that day like? God, I still felt like a faker a little bit because you don't know if you can do it until you try it. And I had never tried it. The the Carrying the backpack was very scary to me because, okay, walking, okay, I can kind of do that. But carrying 35-ish pounds, that was scary. But And so like that hike that we did in town, I'm carrying my backpack. So I'm in the back of the pack because I'm puttering along. But thankfully, our first day was super chill. I think we did five miles to get to that first shelter. The terrain wasn't too bad. And we Charlotte planned it perfectly. She just eased us right into it. And so day one was like bliss. It was great. Even day two, I think, was a little more challenging. But we got to our shelter that night. You have to stay in or near a shelter in the Smoky Mountains when you're you're going through there. Um, there was a group of four women who were backpacking together as like a vacation. They're in their early 50s. And we just love talking to them. Day three was when it really got a little dicey. Um, it was, I just felt like we were going uphill. I mean, we were going uphill for like three straight miles and it was warmer than we thought. And I did have reception at that shelter that night. And I, well, you can't really talk on the phone cause there's literally people right near you that are trying to go to sleep at 7 PM. But I was texting Ryan and I'm like, I'm having a hard time. This is this, it got hard today. And I wasn't, I think I was just hoping it would kind of stay fun and easy, but you know, through, through the week it's. Charlotte had given me a card before we left that said, we can do hard things. And that literally was my mantra. I'm just like using my trekking poles to climb up these, these rock faces. And I'm just thinking, we can do hard things. I maybe wasn't loving the hard thing at that moment. But then at the end of the night, we actually hammock camped instead of tent camped. Um, her and Lauren had, you know, some expertise and they suggested hammocks. And I'm so glad they did because it was super comfortable. But I would just settle down in that hammock and be like, okay, day four check my feet hurt yes but I'm I literally would lay our mats on the ground and do my stretching every night and um just day five check and then day six our last day it started dumping rain oh no well I mean I I felt really fortunate because it didn't rain all week Charlotte's first trip by herself it rained every single day like torrential downpour so we enjoyed the cool I knew even though my clothes were getting wet I didn't have to put them back on I could just throw them in a garbage bag when we got to the car and I put some Sam Smith. We just talked about Sam Smith. I put him on my phone in my pocket so I could hear him while I was walking and just had this like moment of clarity where I was like, I'm almost done. And this has been amazing. And I never imagined I would be out here. And I hadn't, you know, I wasn't quite done, but I still felt like I've done it. I did it. Um, we were almost finished and we come across a rattlesnake, our third rattlesnake of the trip. We had several close encounters with them. And this one was just blocking the entire trail. He was rattling, letting us know that he was not happy. And Charlotte had gone ahead. Charlotte's 10 times faster. So she went ahead to get the car. And we're just sitting there staring at this rattlesnake and kind of panicking. We don't know what to do with him. We can't go around him. It's too steep. So I just started throwing rocks in the forest and got his attention 30 minutes later of throwing rocks. He's finally got far enough off the trail and we hauled booty, and literally 50 yards later, we're done. We were in the parking lot. Was there a point on that trail when you made the transition from somebody who never expected to go on a 40-mile section hike into a hiker, into a through-hiker? I think, well, through... A section hiker. section hiker. Yeah, I've learned all the terminology. A through-hike is when you're doing the entire Appalachian Trail, which is just shy of 2,200 miles. 
We have a friend out there right now, Kevin, who's doing the whole thing. He's at mile like 800. Um, honestly, I think my first hard night, which was night three, when I just sat there and I was like, all right, well, this isn't all roses and rainbows. I'm actually experiencing some hard things mentally and physically, but that almost made it feel more real because I knew it wasn't going to be easy. And it's like, okay, I'm still standing. I'm not dead. And I'm, you know, these are my, my stories that I'll have in my memory forever that I, I could do something that I didn't think I could do. And I'm, I'm still alive to tell the tale. Did you learn anything about yourself when you were out there? Literally the, we can do hard things. Um, I've, I've never been athletic, always shied away from pain. I've never broken a bone because I live very carefully to not break any bones. And so, you know, to have gone through that whole thing and realize that I can put myself through some discomfort, but the view and the experience and the camaraderie was, was so worth it. Um, I would say I just, I learned I can do things that are much harder than what I thought I could do, which is very empowering. Do you think that you'll go out for another section? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I already ordered some new stuff. <laughs> like I already have new things. I made notes on the way home of like, okay, I didn't need this. I wish I had that. And I ordered it as soon as I got home. And then I'm just hoping that, you know, Charlotte and Lauren will take me out in the fall somewhere. <laughs> so there's probably some women listening right now who are thinking to themselves, oh, man, that sounds awesome. And I don't know if I'm cut out for that. What's your advice to somebody who is thinking about trying something new that they're that they've never seen themselves doing before, but they're a little bit curious to see whether they can just take baby steps because I was that person. Even even two and a half years ago, I mean, we camped and then did a day hike, but the whole backpacking along the trail was just not even appealing to me at the time. And so just kind of biting off those small pieces, doing some day hikes, you know, going out of town and pick, because Florida's elevation isn't super challenging, but to, to go somewhere with more challenging elevation, it literally was, looking back on it, just a, a chart for me to kind of nick those little bites off at one time and then... Before I knew it, it was like, all right, well, this is the next big step. And I gave it a try, and it was it was great. There's a couple of things here that I've heard um, you say that I think really pull this topic together. You know, one of them is Inger talking about, you know, taking the path of least resistance, going towards what you're called to do, going towards what's calling to you, and knowing that, like, you know, I might not look like everybody else in this room, but this is what I'm called to. This is what suits me. And then uh, Kyleen having the, the feeling of needing to stretch out, you know, and, and reaching for something that felt like, you know, it was a little out of reach. Maybe it was not what you thought your calling was. Maybe it was not what you felt suited to do. But there was some curiosity there. And I think it just shows that this, this process of pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone is different for everybody. You know, what's meaningful is different. And the method that we take is different. Um, but the unifying experience is that we all have places in our lives where we're not sure whether we are, we've got what it takes or whether people are going to believe that we're legit. And that there's an opportunity there to just trust yourself and go for it. And I love that you have this parallel of starting with the stretching because mm -hmm. the whole experience was a stretch. Yeah. yeah. There, I have a picture um, that I took, you know, people kind of put graffiti on the shelters 
and I don't know if it was someone's trail name or if it was just words of advice, but it just said stretch 2020. And I was like, yep, stretch. That's very, very good words of advice on the trail. <laughs> well, so all of this, um, leads me to the part of the show where I'm going to get a little coachy on you. <laughs> Y'all know I can't pass up the opportunity to whip out my uh, wellness coach hat, um, put it on. You know, you can always find me. Uh, look for Coach Healthy Heather on Facebook. Um, Heather Solves Everything is all about solving the big problems of life and figuring out how we can tap into the strengths and the 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 tools that we already have within ourselves to solve our own problems. And so, you know, this is a universal thing that everybody experiences in different ways, but also in the same way. And so I've got some, some tips for you guys for when you do hear that voice of self-doubt coming through, that's wondering, am I supposed to be here? Is this who I am? You know, do I have what it takes? And the first one is to pay attention to how your body tells you that how your body reacts and responds in stressful situations. You might notice that your shoulders tense up and start to rise up to your ears. You might notice that you clench your jaw. You might notice that you clench your fists. Your body is going to have a physical reaction to the, um, the anticipation of doing something that might feel uncomfortable or new or awkward. And so pay attention to what your body does when you find yourself in those scenarios so that you can then respond with compassion. So many times when we feel ourselves tense up, we go right into the negative, cut it out, relax, you've got this, it's not a big deal, you always do this. And instead, I want you to respond with compassion. Here we are. We knew we'd be here. We're ready. We're prepared. And we've got this. And so paying attention to how your physical body sends you the signal, I'm not sure about this, so that you can respond with compassion. Remember, you're not alone. Everybody feels this way. If you have somebody in your life that you can talk to, whether it is somebody who's going through the same experience you are, or somebody who's gone through it before you, a mentor, um, a friend who has had similar experiences that have, um, they're able to share some of their wisdom with you. Just having that, that confiding conversation will help you to normalize the way that you're feeling and learn from somebody else. Learn to tell the difference between humility and fear. Notice when there's a difference between saying, oh, thanks, oh, no, that's not a big deal. Or when you're saying, I am not ready for this. Because there is a difference. As women, we are often um, trained and coached to defer praise and to downplay our strengths and to say, it's okay, it was nothing, I'm, you know, it wasn't a big deal. It is something that you are good at. And there's a difference between being hum having humility and being humble and being afraid to try something new. So believe in yourself and know that, you know, it, may, it might be something that comes easily to you. Don't play that down. Go with it. It might be something that's challenging or, or you know, that you are afraid of. Lean into that and be curious. Go for the facts. Go back into past experiences and look for times when you did things. You covered the miles. You earned the money. 
You wrote the dissertation. You made the speech. Other people did not do that. The fact that you have these experiences is proof that you are where you're supposed to be and you are the one who's supposed to be doing these things. And say yes to new opportunities. Don't give yourself time to overthink it. Jump in and say yes and then figure out. That's what all entrepreneurs do, right? We say yes, yes and then we figure out how to do it. Like when Heather asks you to be on her radio show. <laughs> like when Heather asks you to be on her show and you say <laughs> yes, and then you show up and you rock it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you furiously text her and say, wait, what are we even talking about? What do you, what do you need to hear from me? <laughs> I want to hear from y'all. I want to know if you could go back in time and and meet up with your younger self, 15, 20 years younger, what would be your advice? Inger, what would you say to your younger Inger? Yeah, I'll, I'll say two things to younger Inger. Um, <laughs> uh, the first thing is um, money related, and that is to invest, right? Because, you know, time is money. And when you're young, you have the time to make a few mistakes, you know, put your money in the market. Maybe you lose some, but you have the time to recover. So first thing is money related, I'd say, um, invest. Uh, the other thing I'd say to younger Inger is just savor your youth. That's what I would say. <laughs> savor your youth because, wow, it, it is wealth. It is wealth. Um, uh, do the hard things like we were talking about earlier. Um, say yes, like you were just saying. Uh, all those things I'd say to younger Inger. Yeah, savor your youth. Kyleen? Amen. <laughs> my, my 20th high school reunion. Well, we're, I don't think they did an actual reunion, but it was like last month. So 20 years ago, I think I would just tell her, to not care so much about what everyone else thinks. Because those people 20 years ago that maybe I thought were thinking something, I don't care about them anymore. Like, I, this, it didn't matter. The problem, I still can't bring myself on a dance floor because I guess I'm still too worried about what people think or to do karaoke. But other than those two things, I will do the hard things and just just enjoy. Because the people that love you the most, they, they're not looking at your belly flub or your wiggly arm or whatever they just want to be around you and they want you to be happy and not worried about what you think you look like or what you sound like or they just want to be around you absolutely I agree I think that you know we um we spend so much time thinking about what other people are thinking and most of the time people are thinking wow she's bad ass <laughs> <laughs> well guys we are out of time for today I'm so glad that you chose to spend a portion of your day with us. Tune in next week on Real Talk 93.3 at 1 p.m. for a new episode of Heather Solves Everything. Check out the expanded edition of today's show on your favorite podcast app Monday morning at 8 a.m. And, of course, stay in touch with me and the show on Facebook. Just look for Coach Healthy Heather. I'm so appreciative to my sponsors, Kyleen and Ryan Studios and AK Social Solutions. Thank you, Kyleen and Inger, for being here today. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for being here, guys. I'm Healthy Heather, and I'm always here to help you solve everything. Status confirmed. This problem is solved. Well, that's it for this week, guys. We did it. We solved another problem with a little help from our friends. You can be a superhero, too. Check us out online. That's where all the information is about how you can jump in and start solving everything. Heather solves everything with a little help from Everyday Heroes.